Welcome back to Camden Cast, your unofficial Baltimore Orioles fan podcast from CamdenChat.com. I'm your host, Mark Brown, and we are recording on the evening of April the 16th, 2014. The Orioles have just defeated the Tampa Bay Rays to climb back up to 500, a 7-7 seven and seven record. I am joined, as always, by my podcasting partner in crime, Stacy Fulkemer. Stacy, how's it going? It's going good. It's always good on a day when the Orioles win. Yeah, it is always good when the Orioles win. We were deprived of the chance for the Orioles to win two games in one because they didn't end up scheduling the rain out as a doubleheader, but maybe that means they can just sweep a doubleheader uh, later on in the season. I think they were aiming for June the 27th or 28th or something like that. June the 28th is a Saturday. That sounds about right. So maybe the Orioles will win two games against the Rays on that day. But you know what else is good? How about Chris Tillman? Because... I wanted him to be good, and I know he's not as good as he's been so far, but it's still pretty cool that he's come out of the gate with three just awesome starts. 0.84 ERA through his first three starts, averaging over seven innings per start. Like, what a revelation. Yeah, he's been an ace. He's been an ace, though, who still perplexes me a little bit. His his you know his velocity is maybe it's like I have this vision in my mind of what an ace is, <laughs> and because Tillman doesn't fit that, I always am just like kind of waiting for him to not. But you know, he, he put up good numbers in the second half of 2012. He put up good numbers for the most part for all of 2013. It wasn't quite as good, but he had you know pretty good stuff. And so far this year, he's been better than we've ever seen him. And so as long as he can keep that up, I'll try to you know, come to terms with the fact that he doesn't strike out that many guys and still kind of gives up homers and homers like, like they're going out of style. Although this year, one good thing that I've noticed, and this has always kind of been his, his charm regarding the home runs is that he doesn't walk a lot of guys ahead of home runs. So oh, he gives up a lot of solo shots. Well, this, this year it's only been three starts, but I mean, he's, he's only walked three guys in three starts. So Three batters in just over 21 innings is, I'll take that any day. That will do. That is a walk rate that we don't often see from an Orioles starter. And, of course, it, I mean, it probably won't hold. But, well, I mean, of course it won't hold because people just don't go a whole season with 0.84 ERAs and suddenly having walk rates of, like, one per seven innings when they've never had below, like, three before. Three per nine, I should say. But... Hey, it's cool to see because, it, I mean, he's not this good, but it makes you feel like his fluke. It's not a fluke that he's been solid for the last season and a half. And, right. You know. And it's nice to have a guy in the rotation who you can count on at least being decent every time out. And I mean, Tillman so far has been way more than decent. He's been very, very good. But I feel like. He's at least he gives me the confidence that when it's his turn to pitch, you know, you're pretty sure things are going to blow up in your face. And, you know, the Orioles don't in recent years, even in the last couple of years when they've been pretty good, you know, haven't always had that. And I mean, talk about the first couple times through the rotation. It was like Tillman with the non-existent ERA and everyone else's was like eight or something combined. It's, it's pretty bad. Yes, he was very much a breath of fresh air over the first uh, 
ten days or so. Like as good as as good as Tillman has been, everybody else was just a mess for a minute there. Yes. And you know that was kind of depressing a little bit, especially fifty million dollar man Ubaldo Jimenez. Like obviously three starts is not a whole lot, and probably there's something in the range of another. 117 starts uh, on that contract, <laughs> which isn't a gladdening prospect at this moment after watching his first three starts. Yeah, at least the other guys, the other four starters, well, Chen, Norris, and Gonzalez, who all had their troubles you know, the first time around, have at least shown some signs of of getting back to what we might hope from them. But Baldo has just been ugh. like it's been so much that you just have to look at it and wonder like man what in the world made anyone ever think that was a good idea other than sheer desperation well we're victims of being Orioles very fans. much affected well that but being very much affected and aware of by things that are, have just happened you know so I mean, when they signed him, I thought it was a good idea. Did you think it was a good idea? It didn't seem like this terrible of an idea, that's for sure. Right, and so I think that if we put it into perspective, I mean, who knows? He could be cooked, but I don't think that's true. I think that he just is having some troubles. Yeah. And that was a risk when they signed him, that he would have some troubles because he's had them in the past. But, I don't know, if you think if you think big term, long term, and you know what the Orioles were thinking when they signed him in the first place... I think that it could still it could still turn out. It's just really frustrating when the guy that was kind of like the big acquisition three starts in is maybe the has had the worst three starts Seven, of anyone in the rotation. One ERA. Not all the guys have made three starts, but he's uh, he's got the worst of the starters ERA after Gonzalez five shutout innings here on Wednesday. Uh, Brought him down to like 6.28 or something like that. Yeah, so it's it's frustrating, and it seems to me like, you know, all of a sudden there were people turning up, uh, Orioles fans turning up on Camden Chat, and, and I'm sure on Twitter and all over the place, like, whoever thought it was going to sign this bum? This guy's a bum, and he's not a bum. He's having a tough time right now, but we have to try and give it the benefit of the doubt because... The Orioles thought it was a good idea to sign him. It was a deal that a lot of people across baseball, you know, thought was a good choice for them to make. You know, it wasn't just the local media kind of blowing sunshine. It was a lot of people. And so hopefully a couple months from now, we'll look back and we'll say, oh, those first three starts. That was terrible, but look at how much better he's gotten, and that's just what I'm hoping anyway. One thing I always try and keep in mind, and I don't know if it works for me sometimes, but I try and do it with other players who've struggled, is if it's like, if he had these three starts in like July, we would just be like, eh, Jimenez, he's struggling a little right now, it's okay, but it's like, this is the only opinion we have of Ubaldo Jimenez right now. We have seen nothing other than these things from Jimenez, so... Of course, that kind of magnifies uh, how significant they seem. Right. It's just like, you know, the Orioles, they won opening day and then won four in a row. And suddenly everybody was just dying. And, oh, this team, they're going. If the Orioles lost four in a row in July, I mean, it would suck. But 
it would be okay. No, people wouldn't be like, so it's kind of, a, it's kind of similar to that. You know, we only have so much to compare it to. And so overreaction is the name of the game. And that goes for me as well as, you know, everyone, I think. I try and keep a lid on it, uh, but sometimes I'm not so successful. Uh, people out there probably don't believe I try and keep a lid on it either, but I, I do try. I try and rein back whatever it is I'm feeling at the moment. Right. Well, I think one, I'm just grasp. maybe I'm grasping at straws here, but I was just, I have, uh, I pulled up Ubaldo's three stats here and, you know, he came to us with a reputation of kind of being a ground ball pitcher, not like a serious ground ball pitcher, like someone like uh, Tim Hudson or something like that, but you know, generally a ground ball pitcher much more than any of the other Orioles starters. The Orioles and then in his... the press release signing him were like, ah, he's had a ground ball rate of 61.1% since 2008, which let me just say, I have no idea where that number comes from because it does not <laughs> track with any, any publicly available data remotely. They probably had some kind of small caveat in there that you didn't pick up on that I'm, made it be, I might you know. Have. I don't know. But... but so in his first start, Mr. Uh, ground ball pitcher got one ground ball, 15 fly balls. In his second start, five ground balls, 11 fly balls. And in his third start, 11 ground balls, 11 fly balls. So maybe he's, even though he was the worst in his last start, like he gave up more runs than he ever did. But he didn't walk as many guys. He only walked two as opposed to five and three. So maybe he's working it out. Like maybe he's, I don't know. I'm grasping his fault. The guy who got screwed by the scope uh, errors on that one game. I don't remember who was the starter that day. But anyway, if he's getting grounders like that, especially once, say, Manny Machado is back in the infield. uh, No, that was Tillman. Oh, was it Tillman? Remember they gave up two unearned runs and they lost two to nothing. That's right. Well, anyway, if he keeps getting the grounders, it'll probably work out. Yeah, I don't. Probably. I don't know if that means anything or not, but I'm trying, I'm trying, and I think that you know, let's give him more than three starts before we run him out of town. And his next start, I guess, will be against the Red Sox, who have struggled so far, which is all right with me. In fact, if they never won another game, that would also be all right with me. But. Well, I mean, what? So their best hitter, Napoli, just like dislocated his finger or whatever. I don't know how long he's going to be out there. Yeah, last I saw, it looks like he's not going to go on the disabled list. Okay, so maybe he'll Um, miss a couple games. But they're not, so they're not sure when he'll he'll be back. But as of right now, they're not putting him on the DL, so he doesn't. He know he's going day to day. So hopefully that means he'll be back Tuesday. Yeah, if he misses the whole series, (laughs) uh, that would be okay. That's probably not going to happen, but can dream. We can dream. So anyway, uh, maybe he'll do better against them. They actually have not been hitting very well so far other than Napoli and Grady Sizemore, which let me just tell you how annoying it is that the Red Sox can just have Grady Sizemore come in and have an 870 OPS. Yeah, it's a little bit of Satan, I think. I think it's a lot of bit of Satan. It may even be Satan himself, not even pieces of him. They like Satan. What can I say? Yeah. Uh, maybe but that's... really, if you look at the rest of their lineup, you know, uh, Sizemore has done well, but Middlebrooks was doing well, but had to go on the disabled list. The rest of the guys, Pedroia is looking bad, but he's been hurt. Yeah, uh, I guess we just need to hope that uh, 
Orioles pitching is not just the thing all those guys need to turn it all around. Right. Well, Friday is going to be Tillman versus Lackey, so that should be a good game. Should be a good game. Hopefully, Orioles hitters make it a good game and uh, not have it be a pitcher's duel. Well, Lackey's been he's been okay this year. He has, which makes me sad. But that's because I don't want anyone on the Red Sox to ever be good. Anyway, that Boston series, I don't know. I just, I don't know how to judge one series. You know, you can have a good series against a good team, and you can have a bad series against a bad team, and anything in between. What I do yeah, know it's... is right now the Boston Red Sox are in last place in the American League East. Just yes, they are. Much more fun to say than the Boston Red Sox are the defending World Series champions. Yep. So the Red Sox are 5-9 and nine right now. And even if and they if, win Wednesday night, they'll still be in last place, no matter what. So we can conclusively say when you listen to this, if you listen to it anytime for Friday the 18th, we know that they will be in last place. Mm-hmm. Which is fun. And uh, maybe they'll still be in last place after the Orioles series this weekend. So that would be cool, too. Yeah, It's a weird series, though. You know, it's four games Thursday to – I'm sorry – Friday, Friday to, Monday. to Mon- Friday to Monday, I meant to say. And Sunday's game is at 7 p.m. and Monday's game is at 11 a.m. So it's gonna be it's gonna be weird. Who knows what's gonna happen? Yeah, I hope the Sunday night one doesn't have any rain or uh, extra innings or general Red Sox game length shenanigans. <laughs> the good news for all of you out of town Orioles fans who don't often get to watch is that currently Ubaldo Jimenez is scheduled to pitch on national TV on Sunday night. Isn't it going to be him against PV or something? Is it the current uh, schedule? Let's see what they say. The Orioles website says that it has uh, it TBD for the Red Sox, but has uh, Jimenez listed as the start on Sunday. Tillman, Norris, Jimenez, and then I guess Monday's game will probably be Chen. Ah, that sounds about right. Mm. So, no one you want representing your team more on national TV than the guy with the worst ERA in starting rotation. <sighs> but maybe he'll uh, feel the pressure and dial it up. That's right. Maybe he'll pull like Miguel Gonzalez does with the Yankees and just like be at his best. Except Gonzalez didn't do that this year against the Yankees. No, that was really just two years ago. Yeah, it was. It was <laughs> that was 2012 magic. <laughs> But, you know, we just finished saying that we should give Ubaldo more of a chance. So maybe this is the beginning of it. Yeah, let's move on from talking about things that suck and talk about something that's awesome. Namely, Zach Britton threw three scoreless innings in Wednesday's game in relief of Gonzalez. And, I mean, it's just obviously he's going to give up runs at some point, probably. I mean... Maybe he won't, which would be awesome if he didn't, but it seems unlikely that he would never give up a run ever. But it is great that the Orioles have a multi-inning reliever just available, and it's not someone who sucks like TJ McFarland. Right. Like, he's not a garbage-time multi-inning reliever. He's a crunch-time multi-inning reliever so far. Yeah, and on a team whose starters look like they might not tend to average too many innings pitched, having a guy like Britton who can go a couple times a week you know, two, three innings is is gold. Just kind of stretch that divide between when the kind of uh, crappy-ish starting pitcher, or not crappy necessarily, in the case of Wei Yan Chen, he just, he hits like 95 pitches and that's it for him. He hits a wall. And having Britton around could really, really 
take this team far. Like you take a game like we saw on Wednesday, and it's you know maybe the starter has a, a good day, but their their pitch count and they're out after five innings. Like if you have a guy who can okay come in and lock down the sixth and seventh, or even the eighth, I mean that is something with value for this particular team. I think which is exciting to see. Yeah, it's great, and he just looks fantastic. You know the kind of uh, knee-jerk reaction thing is that you want to be like, oh, well, they should make him a starter again because look how awesome he looks. And I have been guilty of that myself because when you see the way some of the starting pitching has has come out of the gate here, you're like, but look at Zach Britton. He has been so good. But you know what? Maybe leaving him here for a while is the best thing that they could possibly do for him. Right. Let him have some success that he's never really had at the big league level. And then if he can adapt that, you know, if they want to have him be a starter next year or something, I don't know, whatever. Yeah, I think that he he just struggled with his command so much in the past. And this year it hasn't been an issue at all. So, I mean, but like you said, it's only, like we said, it's only been a couple innings at a time. But for him to look so much more in control, I think that, I mean it's going to be tempting for them to put him in the starting rotation if someone gets hurt or someone goes down and maybe he would even be good, but you don't want to mess with a good thing, you know, it's, it would be, it would be a void that they would have to fill in the bullpen if they kicked him into the rotation this year. And then it's hard to say if he would even be as good in the rotation. And, you know, that would just, uh, that'd be a tough choice there. Although I certainly Mm -hmm. have to wonder if the multi-inning reliever thing means they're trying to keep him kind of stretched out to keep the starter option available for them right i think that's definitely a possibility because even if they don't want to put him back in the rotation permanently he right now if you have to have a guy make a spot start where you don't want to put someone on the disabled list or you don't want to call someone up then i mean of all the guys in the bullpen who who would you want right now it would definitely be britain for me so i think if they keep him in these kind of multi-inning stints if they need him even for just once He's the he's going to be the best option. You know, today he pitched three innings and he got two strikeouts and the rest of his outs were ground balls. So his ground ball percentage for today was 100. Like ground ball to fly ball was <laughs> infinite because it was seven grounders to zero fly balls. So right. Dividing so by zero, we're uh, we're breaking the matrix here. So he's pretty awesome and I it's so nice to. When you see him warming up in the bullpen and you're just like, all right, let's go. I mean, because I had given up on Zach Britton pretty much. I was like, I had him in like the Brian Mattis power. It's like, eh, nothing. They're never going to be anything. And, you know, they wrote the story, you know, the the beat writers wrote the stories in spring training about, oh, Zach Britton's doing the throwing where the strings are set up and he's got to hit the string at the bottom of the strike zone or whatever. And I just read all that stuff and I rolled my eyes because it was like, ah, you know, whatever. That's the kind of stuff they say about someone who comes out and sucks. Yes, but, I mean, it's only been two weeks. But he's definitely the most pleasant surprise of the season. I mean, bar, bar none for me. He has been so reliable and he just, he, he just looks so dominating. He looks totally filthy and you know one of the things that i i enjoy doing um 
when I'm watching the game on TV is going to the other teams' uh, blogs and reading the comments in the game thread to see what kind of reactions they're having. And I feel like every time Britain's been in, they've been like, he looks ridiculous. What is this? When did he, you know, especially the AL East blogs who have been, who they've seen Britain a lot because they played them so many times. And he just looks like a completely different pitcher this year. Yeah, maybe he's finally figured something out. Maybe it's a kind of Tommy Hunter-like transformation where when you put him in the bullpen, his arsenal just plays better when he's able to air it out for two or three innings at a time as opposed to trying to ration his energy across 100 pitches or whatever. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I definitely think that at the very least that is a reason for the bump up in his velocity. You know, he's averaging about two and a half miles faster per hour this year than he was last year. Not bad for a lefty. No. Lefty who can throw 94. I mean, higher than that, really, but who averages. He's averaging 93.9 with his fastball this year. A lefty. Sinker ball pitcher. Oh, that's good to have. It is It is a good thing to have. And I I like to see it. So hopefully he can keep it up. I guess uh, we'll, we'll see how that goes. One thing we were talking about now that Zach Britton has kind of solidified his spot in the bullpen is what are the Orioles going to do when Troy Patton is unsuspended? I want to be the first to admit to you that Stacy and I are kind of murky on what are the exact rules about Patton's suspension, but it seems like if he's 25 games, the Orioles have played 14 games, uh, so nine more should make him eligible to be activated on April the 27th, as far as we know, but I don't know if he's allowed to go on a rehab assignment beyond that, or if he has to rehab like during the end of his suspension, or how all that works. Yeah, it's funny how, I mean, obviously he's been suspended, so he hasn't been someone that we really need to we need to hear about but it's funny that we haven't even heard a peep about him like i don't even know where he is right we've now. gone back to the days of the old camden chat joke of troy Patton not existing because it's Dave true they would just like never play him <laughs> i don't remember who he would pitch instead that was terrible but it, it just, just the idea of troy Patton seemed more appealing than any of those other guys in that uh 2010 bullpen or whatever year that was bullpen and that was just our little joke that he was the invisible man yeah 2011 bullpen I, whatever but we even it was it was 20 it was 2010 was the start of it yeah because that was the time that he got call called up multiple times and did not and then would get sent back down without ever pitching right <laughs> except uh didn't they let him pitch the one time in front of his half sister in boston or did they not oh, right that, game? that weird story i don't know that they like met on facebook or something yeah yeah there's something weird about that but Anyway, whether or not he can he can rehab, I wish. And if anyone listening knows where to direct us to find these rules, because I quick did a Google search and I lost interest because it all was. If you type in anything about rules of MLB for suspension, it's just a bunch of stories about a rod. So, um, but if anyone knows and can let us know, kind of, can Troy Patton go on a rehab? You know, or not. I, don't, I guess it's not called rehab, but what else can we call it to get ready to come back because he hasn't pitched in games? Or does he just have to be? Is he down in extended spring training right now, and he'll just be ready? I don't really know what the answer to that is, but regardless, he'll be back relatively soon. Maybe he has and, stopped existing, like like we said. I mean, I don't know. Maybe he's like a superhero and he's off filming like Avengers two or something. I don't know. I'm going to go with no. You don't think? No, I don't think Troy Patton is a superhero either. It's no. not very likely. 
No, but so but when he gets back, if the Orioles want to keep him, they're going to have to do something about their bullpen. Someone is getting removed, and we decided that the only person in the bullpen with options is Ryan Webb, who's probably not getting optioned because he's on a two-year, like, $4.5 million contract. Yes, I don't think he's going anywhere. So as far as Stacy and I could reckon it, Josh Stinson and Brian Mattis are the two most expendable people, particularly Mattis because it's like, well, he's kind of just a loogie. And if your other relievers are good, I mean, you shouldn't need a loogie, really. Like, were we going to keep him on the roster, just, like, strike out David Ortiz five times a year or something? I mean, I think that, yeah, there's definitely a place for Brian Mattis, but you're right, he can't can't pitch to more than a couple batters because there's not generally going to be a lot of lefties up in a row. So he kind of is a little bit expendable because, because he hasn't really had any luck with righties ever. But then you've got Stinson who in my mind is kind of a kind of your journeyman triple a major league reliever who is going to spend his career going back and forth, stuff like that. And to me, he feels expendable. Maybe I think I definitely, and I know this is true. I have a bit of more of an emotional connection to Brian Mattis just because he's been around so long. Like even though he's been crap half the time, I, you know, he was the big prospect, and he has been. I mean, what year was he drafted? Two thousand eight. Yeah. So, and we started paying attention to him the minute that he was drafted. He was one of those guys. So he's been a part of our lives for you know six years and you, so you named your router brian mattis at one point in i time. did name my router brian mattis that's how much i like that's when i thought he would be good but it turned out he and my router had some troubles <laughs> um so i don't know i think there's no way to know what uh dan duquette's gonna do certainly because even if you think you know you probably don't know because he's dan duquette does he know is another question yeah <laughs> But I mean, you thought, gotta think that he's exploring the idea of trading one of these guys. Because if he doesn't, I think he won't get anything for them of any value. Because whoever he would trade with knows that if he doesn't trade them, they, the only thing, the other thing you can do is DFA them. So, but I don't know. I think my money is on is on Stinson. But I'm basing that kind of just on his lack of track record. The fact that with Britain being so good, they have already have a really good guy who can go three innings if needed, stuff like that. And I think that, I don't know, Brian Mattis seems kind of like a favorite of the powers that be. Yeah, even though Dan Duquette is not the one who drafted him, I feel like he wouldn't just want to completely cut loose, uh, you know, and just like designate for assignment one of the one-time cavalry pitchers, if you will. You know, we saw last year they finally had enough of Jake Arrieta, but then they packaged him and got Scott Feldman and Steve Clevenger, for that matter. And, you know, I, I just can't imagine they would just cut loose 2008 first-round pick, number four overall, and just, you know, they just let him go. It, it doesn't seem like something they would do, even if Dan Duquette's not really attached to those guys in the way that, say, Andy McPhail was. Yeah, it's hard to say uh, what's going to happen because you really cannot predict uh, Dan Duquette. And it's really hard to know what is going to happen. Another thing that uh, we uh, 
talk for it. There's been a couple comments about it a little bit on Cam the chat is what's going on with Darren O'Day? You know, he's pitched okay when the when the uh, when we've seen him, but we've hardly seen him. Like in, t- in times when you would normally go to him, we haven't seen much of him. So I don't. There's been some speculation, and he's been in garbage time a lot of his games. Like he hasn't come in, in high leverage situations. So there's been some speculation that maybe he's he's injured or he's trying to work through some stuff. So I mean, maybe O'Day might go on the disabled list when when Patton gets back. Who knows? Yeah, if you asked me a month ago who was gonna be most likely to be pitching the eighth inning for the Orioles, I certainly would have said Darren O'Day. And uh, I don't. I don't know that he's come in one eighth inning hold situation yet uh, so far. Yeah, I don't know what's happening with him. Like, he he, he hasn't been terrible. He's pitched in five games. Uh, he has He's walked a couple guys. You know, two is not that bad. And he just, he hasn't looked necessarily bad, but he's just always, it seems like he's come in in games when the Orioles are behind or... It's not the game isn't really in question very much, and that's not Darren O'Day's role. It never has been since he got here, and he hasn't really done anything on the field to make it seem like, you know, yeah. So here's his five games. He came in, they were down four, down six, ahead nine, and then his fourth game they were tied when he came in, and that was the extra innings when they had no choice. And then his fifth game they were ahead by six. So other than the one tie, they've been ahead by down or ahead by at least four runs every time he's come in it just is strange and so i don't and and we haven't heard anything about oh he's injured no. although as not a piece. as i've said before and will probably say again uh orioles beat reporters are not always known for being on top of that kind of stuff like what was it uh brian mattis was not at monday's it was either sunday's game or monday's game maybe it was both because Sunday, he, had the flu. he wasn't. Yeah, Sunday's Monday, Monday's game. He wasn't there, but they knew where he was by then. It was Sunday when they didn't even know. They he wasn't didn't there even the notice was that he wasn't at the stadium <laughs> until like the sixth <laughs> inning of the game. Was the first yeah. any of them mentioned it? Yeah, they weren't very observant. Like, oh, they were like, "Doesn't oh, look he... like Brian Mattis is here today." It's like, were you not in the clubhouse before the game? Like, mm, who's not in here? It's like it just doesn't didn't occur to them to notice his absence. Yeah, so, but I, I mean, I, I have no idea what's going on with O'Day, but if he, if he is hurt and they're not telling anyone, then I'll cut the, the beat reporter some slack if they're keeping it really under wraps. So it's just very confusing the way that he has been used this year. And I think that something has to be going on. Yeah, I, I mean, maybe we'll find out. Maybe when uh, Patton comes off the suspension, it'll be O'Day to the disabled list, and they don't have to get rid of anybody after all. But it it is really weird. Just... We're keeping an eye on it, not that we know anything. Right. That is really just a wild guess, but we're just trying to figure out what's happening with him. I'm doing the fingers pointing at my eyes thing and pointing at no one in particular. But I'm watching somebody. Hey, Mark. Yes. Has anyone ever told you that you're really cool? Uh, Maybe. Why? I was just imagining you doing that and thinking how that's something that. Oh, I was doing it. Too. I hope no one out there thinks I was saying <laughs> it and I wasn't actually doing it. I am. I am. Oh, I. Be- oh, I believe the, you. The pointing is happening. I am. I am not making that part up. Yeah, I might have heard once or twice that I'm kind of a cool guy. Doesn't surprise me. Yeah. 
So anyway, you know who else is cool? Uh, how about Matt Wieters? And he's actually cool, not sarcastically. We're saying, oh, he's cool. Because he's been... Uh, well, I mean, we've kind of been joking to ourselves. It's almost like Scott Boris whispered to him in the offseason, hey, Matt, you might want to start hitting if you want to get paid. And then the season happened. <laughs> like, he just suddenly looks like what we always wanted him to be. Of yes, course, it's, he... it's a it's a 14 game sample size, but looking good. Yes, it's not a not a not a huge sample size, but he does lead the team in home runs with three. He's got a couple doubles, got you know handful of walks. He looks, and he just looks at the plate like there are times you know last year when he was looking especially horrid that you would see him swing and be like, how do we ever think this guy was going to be good? He just looks terrible. This, the and significant so, like, thing is he looked terrible when he was batting left-handed last year. And mm-hmm. so far this year, and it's not counting anything he did today because baseball reference hasn't updated, but uh, going into Wednesday, his, his sample or his over 10 games, he had 33 plate appearances against lefties or against righties as a lefty. Was batting 400, OBP 455, slugging percentage 633. Two of his home runs he's hit as a lefty. So I mean that was like the a big weakness in his game because you're gonna face righties more than you face lefties just because there's more righties out there, and he is getting it done so far. Yes, and that's. It is early. It's only been two weeks. And if you go back, I mean, he was just terrible last year. But if you go back to his 2012, 2011 numbers, April was a really big month for him in those years, too. And so I'm trying to temper my enthusiasm, obviously, because it's only been two weeks. But as is our tendency, we overreact when we're happy and when we're not happy. And he just looks, I mean, just fantastic. And he looks patient. You know, he's having good at bats. He's not hacking. He's not, I don't know what's happening, but, you know, if this is Scott Boris saying, you want a big contract, you better start hitting, then I say we enjoy the ride for the next two years. That's right. That's right. Someone else will pay him a lot of money. It will not be the Orioles, but, uh, you know, we'll have a pretty good catcher who's hitting pretty well for the next two years at the very Mm -hmm. least. Yep. And I, you know, Maybe he can finally be the guy that we thought he would be, but I don't know. We'll see. It's it's early. It's very early. It is. So obviously these two players are way different, but it's not without precedent in recent Major League history. A catcher at Weeders' age just kind of flipping the switch because Yadier Molina, who all would agree is a pretty good catcher and also hitter, really his first good hitting season he was 28 years old. Matt Wieters is in his age 28 season. He will be 28 in May. So, I mean, that doesn't mean, sure, it's going to happen, but I, you can't categorically say, okay, there's no chance anyone ever will get better at this age because there's a very recent example of someone doing just that. And I have no idea how that could work out like that. Like, what is what is it that just made him suddenly be perennial MVP candidate Yadier Molina at age 28. I I don't know, but if it happens to Matt Wieters too, uh, good for the Orioles. Yes, indeed. And I think there maybe is something to 
catchers bats maturing a little bit later only because they have so much more to take in when they're catching guys every day but I'm still not ready to declare uh, Matt Weeder's uh, a turnaround story just yet. It's it's cautious optimism there, but it, at least it's been a good. Yes, first. we will definitely come back to that in later podcasts and see if we're still feeling as good about Matt Weeder's as we do right this moment. Something that maybe will help is maybe if Steve Clevenger is not terrible. Now, much as I liked Taylor Teagarden because he had like 11 hits in 2012 and they were all clutch hits. Uh, that's actually kind of bad if you only have 11 hits in a year. And of course, some of that was because he was hurt or whatever. But if if the backup catcher is not like a complete waste, then maybe Weeders can like DH some and be a little less dinged up, and maybe that'll help him hit better too. Maybe he can get yeah, a couple def- more rest days uh, through the year. Would help. Yeah, definitely. He definitely needs more more days off. I think. Even if, like you said, even if he's just DHing, I think he logs more innings behind the plate over the last several years than any other catcher in baseball. So that's something to keep in mind. Like as much as we really like Cal Ripken Jr. and the streak in 26-32 and all that, I mean, the vast majority of players, the ideal is not okay. They're playing every game. Mm-hmm. Like they, there's a reason why they don't play every game. It's not just because they avoid injuries it's because they need some rest mm-hmm. yep and even uh yadier molina who we were just talking about if you uh for the last you know 2010 to 2013 which are really the years that he uh started being pretty good 136 games 139 games 138 games 136 games you gotta save catchers you know they especially when it gets to be 90 degrees outside in baltimore you got to save them. It's it's it can really exhaust them back there. And I think hopefully, you know, get Weeder some more time off and it can only help, I think. So we're we're going to keep our eye on him. We're going to keep our eye on Britain. We're going to keep our eye on Tillman. But there are success stories so far. And as much as things felt terrible after about five games, the Orioles have made their way back to seven and seven. And it's not so bad. Nope, that's at least two. That's at least two more wins than the Red Sox. Have. It is two more wins and you know significantly it is one game back of the lead in the American League East. Although if the Yankees win on Wednesday evening after this podcast is done recording it will be one and a half games down but nonetheless that's not like uh they're not out of there completely. The poor Arizona Diamondbacks are already 7 games behind the their division leaders. That's a mess. The Orioles are not a mess at this time which is nice. Yep. 500 at home, 500 on the road. They have allowed one more run than they have scored. There's your run differential right there. It's basically right about where it, you would expect for their record. So it's not like they're overperforming, but on the other hand, they're not underperforming. They're just... Right now, they're a 500 team. But they're also missing one of their best players, Manny Machado. Kind of hearing sort of vague rumblings that maybe he'll be back mid-May. They haven't really put an exact date on it, but that's kind of what the beat writers speculate. And they're probably speculating because that's what somebody told them off the record or whatever. Yeah, so far the Orioles' official stance has been to not put any kind of timetable on him other than saying that it's very important that he is, you know, goes slow and 
is ready when he's ready so he doesn't hurt himself more later. And that's a very good stance to have, but it's hard for us to watch Ryan Flaherty at the plate every day. So hopefully Manny is, you know, he's gone from not doing any baseball activities to sprinting to taking at bats to, I think it was today or yesterday he was going to run the bases. So he's getting there. He was taking at bats against Johan Santana a couple days ago, as I recall. Yeah. Let's see. Yeah, the Beat Raider tweet, Manny Machado's first time resuming running the bases today in Sarasota went well with no problems. Yes, so that's good news because one of the things they were worried about was him turning on his knee. And so if he's running the bases, then they're not as scared about that anymore, especially if it went well. We'll see tomorrow when he wakes up if he feels good. Yeah, hopefully there's no more like more sudden it. knee scar tissue and then then we never right. see him again right. or something. That's what happened in spring training. You know, he all of a sudden was having trouble running, moving his knee. So, I mean, he'll be back soon, but and when he gets back, that'll be I mean, I. I haven't been counting, but how many plays have gone to third base where you're just like, oh, if only Manny was there. <sighs> we miss him. It, it feels like it has to be at least one per game. Maybe that's not actually true, but it, it seems like that at this time. And it's not really fair to Flaherty and Scope, who've been filling in for him, because, I mean, Flaherty especially seems pretty shorthand. But, you know, once you've seen a whole season of Manny Machado at third base you just know what someone is capable of doing. So it makes you kind of like, whatever. Like, imagine this. Can you, I, I, I can't even imagine how did we live when it was like Wilson Bedemeet and Mark Reynolds playing third base, you know? That happened. Dark. It happened yeah, the year I, the Orioles were in the playoffs. It happened. I mean, those were the guys right before Manny. And they were so bad. So really, it could be worse right now, you know? Imagine Betamite was the backup third baseman. Eesh. So Flaherty's not bad. Scope is a work in progress, but neither one of them defensively are Manny and offensively. Flaherty has just been very, very disappointing. It's uh, it's it is very disappointing so far for the Flaherty. It's true. After. Wednesday's game, he's batting a cool 179 with a 238 on base percentage and a 231 slugging percentage. Yeah, he had that, was that one or two games in a row, uh, both against the Yankees, where I think he got three hits and in one game, one hit in the other game, but like both, he had a couple doubles, and I was like, oh yeah, here he goes, he's turning it around. No, he's not. No, he's not. He's Ryan Flaherty. <laughs> this is Ryan Flaherty. He's, <laughs> he's not turning anything around. Which... Is another, I mean, I don't know. This is just another instance of us being over-optimistic in spring training, but we were like, yeah, Flaherty, oh, give him a chance. He's, I don't know, maybe I wouldn't, we wouldn't be feeling so uh, pessimistic about Flaherty if he were playing second the way he was supposed to and we had Manny in the lineup. That's true. But it's different when him. he's the third baseman or whatever. And it's like, oh, he's playing there because Machado isn't playing and we miss Manny. Yeah, it just kind of makes it even worse. But he's a fine... I think Flaherty is a fine guy to have on the bench. Uh, right, because he he's short. your your second base backup, your shortstop backup, your third base backup. He can even play first base if you need him to. Like, he has. It's not... 
You know, so he can really, he's a really good guy to have on the bench. And he does have, he hasn't really shown it this year, actually. But in, in his last couple of years, even though he's never gotten on base a lot, he's shown a little bit of the the capability to hit some home runs. So, I mean, if you have to have him in the lineup every now and then to give someone a rest, it's not the worst thing in the world. So I think, you know, that leaves the question of, you know, what do you do about second base? But there's plenty of time to answer that before Manny gets back. Yeah, it seems like uh, at best it's another two weeks and probably more like a month. Like I would guess in two weeks it would be okay. He starts his rehab and then, you know, another two weeks he's back. Yes, that that sounds about right. Which... I mean, <sighs> I just – it's – I'm just worried that he's going to have another setback and then we'll be stuck. With I know that game. would be very unfortunate, but I feel like if you had said in September, okay, he'll be back in mid-May, we would have been like, okay, that's good. Only missing six weeks of Manny. But it was just like around January, February, I think, I feel like we all got fooled by some of the optimistic uh, proclamations that were being made. Yeah. Oh, maybe he'll be ready by opening day. And I, I feel like we kind of uh, kind of got sucked in by that a little bit, and it made our our hopes uh, less realistic than they were initially, which makes yeah. it disappointing that now it feels like it's taking longer. But really, I think where he's coming in back coming back is in line with what we should have been thinking all along, probably. Probably. Now, if you want to talk about stuff from spring training that sucked us in. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Who were we gushing about the most in the last podcast? Well, if you don't recall, or if you weren't listening, shame on you. In any case, we were at one time very excited for Nick Markakis this season. Mm. And it feels like it wasn't that long ago, but it was, because that was before we saw Nick Markakis come out of the gate looking like whatever it is he's looking like over the first 14 games of the season here. And uh, uh, whatever those arms were good for in spring training, they aren't good in the regular season. No, he's bad. I just want to point out that as bad as he looked last year, like he had a 685 OPS last year, which is bad. He was slugging 356, which is really, really bad. And today, Wednesday, he had a two for four day, and now he's slugging 311 after a two for four day. He's getting on base at a 270 clip, and that's now the leadoff hitter because I don't know why. Because even going into this year, before this happened, before these last 14 games, even if he couldn't hit a home run to save his life, you still knew that he was gonna be, and really. For the Orioles, this isn't saying much, but one of the better guys at getting on base. Um, and that was even true. Even last year, he only had a 329 on base percentage. But for the Orioles... Yeah, for the Orioles, that was... That uh, was not bad. Uh, second to Davis, I think. Uh, let's see. Uh, well, if you count Denny Valencia, who only played in 52 games, he had a higher. But yeah, of like the guys who are of regulars, it was second to, to uh, Davis. And tied with Nate McLeod. So it didn't seem to me going into this season like a bad idea to put him at leadoff. Because, I mean, he can't if he's not going to hit home runs, at least he's going to get on base, unlike most of the jokers on this team. So, 
but he's just been oh, oh he's not going to he he's not going to be this bad for the whole season. It's impossible. It is impossible. It seems impossible. I mean, if you it's watch impossible. him at the plate, he looks so much like he did last year with just junk approach and when he makes contact, it's just like weak contact and it, like it's hard to imagine him ever hitting a home run right now. Yeah, well, I agree with that. It seems he slaps at everything. He goes to the opposite field with everything, which is okay in circumstances when that's how they're pitching you or that's, but that's just his, that slapping that he, with the bat that he does is very off putting. And in general, and, when he hits something and it's goes, you know, the pull, it just goes right to the second baseman. Oh yeah. He loves hitting the second baseman in general. So I just don't know what he, he will get better. He, he will. No one, what did you say his own base percentage is 270 something? Yeah, it seems like even if he's as bad as last year, he needs to, he should be getting on base more than 270. Yes, he's, this is an unfortunate few weeks for Nick. And hopefully it will, I've lost all hope that I had that when I first saw his beefy arm. That's gone. I don't think, you know, I think that we were duped. But I also think that there's no way that he's going to stay as bad as he is right now. It's just impossible. At this point, we just need to hope he's like last year, which, like, holy crap, man. Who could have ever thought last year would ever seem like a positive? But that's like 100 points of OPS more than he has right now. Yes, and he's, yeah, he's... He can't be that bad. No, right now he's hitting... His current hitting line is a is worse than the career hitting line of Cesar Isturis. That's not going to happen. Sub Isturisian. He's not going to be sub Isturisian the entire year. It's impossible. But even if he gets better, he looks to me like the kind of guy who's not ever going to get good enough for me to be excited about ever again. You know? Yeah. He... That's the $15 million man who now it seems... All of it's certain he will be getting his two million buyout too. Well, I never no thought way. he. Would, I mean, I couldn't even imagine the year he would have had to put up to get that seventeen million dollar option picked up. I can't even. Well, see, I figured he would do just good enough to get that picked up, and then he would go back to sucking next year. But now yeah. that doesn't seem like he's going to pull that kind of rope a dope move. He needs Scott Boris to uh, whisper whatever magic words were whispered to Matt Weeders to turn that on, <laughs> I guess. But. Sadly, he's not a Boris agent. No, if I remember right, Nick Markakis's agent is like a high school friend of his, and that's like his only client is Nick Markakis. I might have made I that know. up, but I, I seem to remember I something about that back. That may today. be true. I've never heard of it, but I, he has, just as Zach Britton has been the most pleasant surprise of the year, Nick has been, to me anyway, the most unpleasant surprise. I mean, maybe time with Ubaldo, but Nick has been, oh, he's terrible. He looks terrible up there. And so he's going to, he's going to get better. He's going to get better. How much better? Who knows? Not good enough for us to love him anymore. It is not. Okay. I don't know where I thought of that. Nick Markakis, his high school buddy was his agent. I don't, I don't know how that came in my head, but that's false. So I'm striking that <laughs> off the record. Excuse me for being so wrong. 
It's a good story. It is. I, I I don't know why I had some memory of that being in my head from around when he signed his extension. I thought I read something in the paper about that, but that appears to not be the case. <laughs> so, uh, so forget I ever said that. And anyway, Nick Marcakis is very. Uh, I'm shaking my head. I just I don't know. I don't know what to make of him anymore. But he can't be this bad. We just have to hope that he is, you know, we are, he is a, it's a small sample size and we will feel better soon. It's the only thing I can cling to because he's not, the problem is he just, he's not hitting the ball hard. Has he, how many times, how many hard balls has he hit this whole year? I mean, like he has a triple, but I don't even know how that That happened. That was a good hit. That was a good hit. I remember that. Yeah. That's like the one. In the in the gap, and he's had a couple fly balls to like the warning track in center field. Maybe it was almost the warning track, but like his hits have all been just like junk, junk hits. Junk, and he's not taking walks. Like the thing that drives me crazy is what is the reason for it? Because it was supposed to be okay. Now he's had a full off season to repair, and we've. You know, we bought into the beefy arms we'd never seen before. So, what is up with that? If he had the full off season, then he had the beefy arms. Why does he look like this? Did his beefy arms disappear during the end of spring training? Like, did he did well, he stop doing whatever was giving him the beefy arms? I don't know. Maybe he's just not that good at baseball. I know. I, know. I don't know. I mean, I don't. Which is hard to, because even in the years when he. We all know that his peak was 2008, and he's only gone downhill since then. And But even in the years when he was not as good as we hoped he would be, he still was valuable to some level, but he just looks... You know, I've, I think we should put a pin in Nick Marquez because I feel like it's easy to hate on him because we're so disappointed. And I think that a lot of people, like like, you know, someone was getting on your case in the in the in the comments of the post game uh, recap today that you know it's pick on Nick Markakis week at Camden chat and I think we do pick on him a lot. It's and easy because he really sucks right now. No, he does really suck right now. I'm not saying he doesn't deserve it, but maybe you know let's try and small sample size maybe and just come back in a few weeks and see see how he looks. I I don't want to write him off yet. Okay, so let's let's see. Let's say let's say. Nick Markakis will not be discussed on the next episode of Camden Cast unless it's something good. But no matter how terrible he is, we will not even mention his name. What if, what if from now to the next Camden Cast, which we don't know when it's going to be, we haven't planned it yet, but let's say it's 10 days from now, just for a ballpark, he has no hits. I don't know. I don't know. Then that we, would make me want to break my. Uh, that would. Make are we me not going to talk about him? That would make me want to break my rule. Okay, let's say maybe we'll never speak about him again, but maybe we will. So that's not very definitive. But. We will just agree to try and keep an open mind going forward until we have more definitive proof for why we should hate him. Yeah, there you go. That's good. <laughs> that's fair. I think that's fair. But for now, we'll. Uh, We'll put a moratorium on Nick Markakis for the rest of this podcast as we are nearly at the end. But, you know, nonetheless, we're making the making the effort here. Who on the team have we not talked about over this meandering hour? I feel like we've kind of mentioned more or less everybody. We haven't talked about Chris Davis. We haven't. That's because he hasn't really been uh, noteworthy so far. 
No, he hasn't been bad, but he hasn't been that great. You know, he did his first home run and it was a good one. I mean, it wasn't it was an FU home run, but it bounced up against the uh, green wall in the center field. So it was it was a good home run. It just uh, is his only one. So but, you know, he still he has a pretty good hitting line. 364 home base, 435 slugging, which is tiny compared to that doesn't count today. I don't know what he did today. He had um, six home runs by this point last year. So now wow. he has one. So team, that's not team game 14. He had. Uh, oh, that's see, I was just about to read off and say his OPS was eight or nine and say that's not very good. But that was actually his slugging percentage uh, on team game 14 <laughs> last year. He had a one point five seven OPS. <laughs> God, 80. What was it? 809 slugging percentage uh, after team game 14. So, so after after game 14 in 2013, his OPS, his slugging was higher than his OPS is now, right? He's now at 827. Oh no, so Uh, just a little bit. He got some today, so he's 828 after Wednesday. Okay. But he was he went into today I think slugging higher than his uh, slugging higher after the same number of games in 2013 than his 2014 OPS. So I think it's safe to say that Chris Davis is not going to hit 53 home runs every single year, but uh, but he he's taken um his fair number of walks. I think they you know. In the beginning of the season, he looked like he was just trying to hit home runs, didn't he? I think like the first, I think like, he did. Week or so, and I think maybe he—I don't mean I don't know—I'm speculating, but if he felt some pressure to kind of be the guy who hits all the home runs again, but then in the last few days, he looked a lot more comfortable at the plate. He looked more patient. That's you know, he hit his first home run. He's had uh, a double here and there. He's been taking his walks. So I—I I I think he'll come around. And, you know, he's just so big and strong that once the weather gets hot, even if he's just doing fly balls, some of them are going to be home runs. Like he could hit five home runs over the next five games, and then suddenly we will not be. Right. It's true. And he's fully capable of it. He just he's off to a slow start, which I think feels like a letdown because last year he hit a home run every single game for the first four games. He hit a grand slam on opening day, the home opener. So it's kind of like, well, now he's just a regular guy. Yeah. But I think. Yeah, he could go on a streak and... And then suddenly he's right back on not 53 home run pace, but suddenly we wouldn't yes. be wondering, oh man, is he even going to hit 30 this year or something like that? It'd be a big difference. Yes, and he really, and he's still currently, um, although this, again, is not saying much for the Orioles, but he is uh, one of the, the better hitters currently in the lineup. So I think, and I think he's only going to get better as the weather heats up and as he gets more comfortable to play. Going into today, he had the third best OPS plus your your weighted OPS uh, of the regulars. So, you know that's not like god level like last year, but that's a mm. solid hitter. Well, he's behind a new Oriole, Nelson Cruz. Yeah, who's been good. Has Cruz has not homered since that second game, but he's uh, getting some doubles, working some walks. Looking pretty bad in left field, but... Oh, yeah. It's, uh, you know, whatever. Oh, you know who we haven't mentioned? Speaking of left field, David Lowe. 
But oh. as, as bad as Nick Marcakis has looked, David Lowe has basically looked worse. Except David Lowe can actually play in, in the field, which... Uh, I'm sorry, I broke my moratorium on not talking about Nick Marcakis. I know, you I said you were going to... You're the worst. I knew that wouldn't last. Let's talk about David Lowe. Let's talk we'll about to David compare Lowe. Him. So David Lowe is terrible in the plate. And maybe, I don't know what I was expecting. I don't know why I was expecting anything from him. But I was. Because they they trade for these guys and people make me think things. I don't know. But I cannot tell you the relief I feel when a ball is hit to left field and I see David Lowe there. And not Nelson Cruz. Yeah, he can get so, uh, He has speed and uses it well in the outfield. I mean, obviously at this point, Nelson Cruz in the field plus Nelson Cruz's bat is greater than David Lowe in the field plus David Lowe's bat. I would agree with that, much as uh, much <laughs> as Lowe frustrates me at the plate. But I don't think – I mean, it's just – he's just – He's a very, very capable defender, it looks like. And that makes me happy. Um, but his bat is atrocious. I mean, some of that might be maybe he is hurt with whatever mystery thing kept him out of the lineup for several days. And well, he's just not he's, fully healthy. Yeah, well, that's that's true. You know, the, the, he's been having concussion symptoms, which I don't understand. Why isn't he on the disabled list? Right. They, well, they supposedly said that. they rule it out and it was not a concussion, but well, he was still having the symptoms. So they sent him for the tests. The test came back negative. So he was in the game that night. I mean, he came as a defensive replacement later that night, but then like the next day or the day after he was like, yeah, I still have the symptoms. They're not going to just go away. Well, I'm very, that worries me, you know, yeah, and because we remember Brian Robertson concussions. Yeah. So hopefully, hopefully that could be a reason for his, his performance, but hopefully it's not just because I would prefer him to be healthy as a human being over good at baseball. That's my opinion. Yeah. Hopefully um, he can be healthy and as a human being and also good at baseball. I guess that's, yep. that's your ideal world there. Yeah. But you know, last year uh, he played in 96 games for the Royals and his hitting line was just a little bit below average. And so I think maybe, hopefully, he'll he'll bring it up. It's another, you know, he only has 30 plate appearances this year. So he's looked terrible. But I don't, oh, we're not talking about Marquez anymore, so I won't say that. But he he can't be that bad, much like the player we're going to try not to. Well, I, cause I, well what, I was gonna, what I was going to say is that he only has 30 plate appearances. He's very um, visibly had, you know, some issues with staying on the field so far. So if he can overcome that, then perhaps he can get his batting up to a level where it's worth having him in. Because I think if he would, if he could have a league average bat with his defense compared to Cruz, that would be a good thing to have in left field if you could keep Cruz at DH. I think that would be optimal. But if he's going to only be, you know a low 400 OPS, then you can't justify putting him out there. That's pretty bad. Indeed. Uh, after today, a 125 average, 176 on base percentage, 188 slugging percentage. You, you kind of can't even wrap your head around that. I mean, obviously David Lowe, even right now, is better at baseball than you or I will ever be at anything. Of course. Just, just, just in the fact that he's in the major leagues, but uh, compared to every other major league baseball player, he's uh, having a bit of a rough time. 
Yes, to put that caveat in there, because every now and then you get someone who says to us, well, he's one of the, they're one of the best baseball players in the whole world. Well, that doesn't mean them good, they were good enough to be on the, in the major leagues. Right. It doesn't mean we wouldn't wish there was a better <laughs> major league baseball player on the Orioles than someone performing at that level. Right. That's my actually that's my occasional heartening and occasional depressing thought is that so some bad baseball player is better at baseball than I'll ever be at anything. Do you know who is so much better at baseball than you ever will be at anything? Who is Bra- that? Brandon Fahey. Oh man, he was my favorite. <laughs> He was my height and weight, so whenever he did something good, it was just like winning one for the nerds. I don't even know if he was a nerd in, in his personality, but he had the kind of scrawny nerd build going on. So if Brandon Fahey could hit a home run off of Kurt Schilling, you know, that was uh, that was what I could tell myself. Mm-hmm. He hit a triple one time when I was at Camden Yards. I was very excited. I don't remember who it was off, but I just remember he hit a triple one. It was... Uh, well, you know, that was when it was the terrible Orioles, and that was one of the more exciting things to happen for several years at, uh, while I was at a game. But it has since been passed by a great many. By actual good moments. things that happen yeah. at baseball games? Yeah, by real, by real good, <laughs> good, good baseball moments from good baseball teams. My good baseball moment from the crappy baseball team was when Felix P.A. hit for the cycle. I was so excited that night. I was jumping up and down in my living room. They were so bad. And you really like Felix P.A. Yes. That's not a secret. But, I mean, nowadays I'd be like, get that bum off the team. Sorry, Felix. Even just recently I was excited by Bud Norris throwing seven scoreless innings. Well, that was exciting. I was at that game. Yeah, we were both there. I was in the press box and Stacy was up in the seats. Mm-hmm. Up in our... Upper deck seats. Up in your nice. seats where Paul abandons you as soon as the kiss cam comes on. Yeah, he's a jerk. But I mean, you know, extra innings wins are fun. They're they're even more fun <sighs> when the team has some expectations and what. Well, extra innings wins are fun when it's the Orioles who are trailing in the ninth and come back to tie it. That's true. Uh, they're less fun when the Orioles are winning in the ninth and the other team comes back to tie it. Tommy Hunter giving up a home run to Colby freaking Rasmus after the rookie umpire literally in his first major league game ever doesn't call the check swing that would have struck him out and ended the game like one pitch before that. Yes. Not that I'm bitter or anything. But they won. They did win in the end, so that and it that made it a lot better. And it was exciting. And even if the reason is because they gave up a run in the ninth, I always do love a good walk-off win. They're always much more exciting. Get the pie to the face. They're getting actual pies. It's no shaving cream this year. I believe I saw Adam Jones is getting pies from dangerously, dangerously delicious yeah. pies in Canton. I think that's in yep. Canton. Whatever. You know, Rodney, the pie guy. It's an actual mm. pie. Although David Lowe is not even going to taste any of it because he doesn't want to mess up his 3% body fat. Yeah, he apparently has some very strict diet and he would not <laughs> even lick the, the, the cream on the pie <laughs> on his face because that would mess up his diet. So That's how you that's how you get abs like David Lowe. Yeah, but what good is his abs if he's got <laughs> freaking sub 400 OPS? That's what I want to know. Anyway, new pies. It's better than the shaving cream pie, I think, because it won't sting anybody's eyes if it ends up in there, probably. No harsh chemicals. Actual edible food is good. Well, hopefully that's not the last pie we get to see uh, dished out at Camden Yards this year. I'm sure it's not. 
There will hopefully be many good Orioles wins and many pies to the face. Maybe someone will even get to pie Adam Jones in the face. I don't know who has the standing to pie Adam Jones in the face. Do you know, I think that the last time Adam Jones got a pie in the face that I remember, I mean, maybe he got one last year. I can't remember, but I remember Robert Andino. That's what I was going to say. I I do remember Andino getting Jones. But I I find it hard to believe that Jones didn't get pie the entire 2013 season, but maybe he didn't. I mean, yeah, I don't know. If anyone out there remembers or if anyone out there knows who should get a pie or who should pie Jones. Because, of course, Jones will not pie the player we're not going to name because he's a stick in the mud, apparently. (laughs) <laughs> and doesn't want to be pied. So Jones Jones has less tenure than that player and uh, that will not pie him. Although Jones did pie Brian Roberts. He did the very gentle uh, pieing of Brian Roberts because he didn't want to hurt his neck Right. at one time. But Brian Roberts enjoyed it. Yeah. So I, I have to imagine Jones would be a good sport if someone pied him, but I don't know who would have the, the gumption the chutzpah. Maybe, some, maybe someone like Tommy Hunter. That's that's true. It could be Hunter. I could see Chris Davis just because he's Chris Davis. You know, are you going to get mad at Chris Davis as Chris Davis pies you in the face? Chris Davis could walk into my room right now and pie me in the face. I wouldn't even be mad, you know? I don't think that um you're allowed to get mad at Chris Davis because he's so giant. Yeah. What? You can't. You have to just be like, "Oh, thank you for the pie, sir." Remember that picture of Chris Davis with the chimpanzee? That was just like the coolest <laughs> thing ever, man. Chris Davis, he's awesome. All right, now that we're bringing up chimpanzees, that's probably our sign that it's time to time to wrap Maybe. this up. Maybe. We hope you have enjoyed this edition of Camden Cast. We will probably maybe be back next time-ish. There's a day game, and that night we can record, and then there's not a day game the next day. So. I don't know when that is on the schedule right now, but that's, we'll figure it out. that's what we're aiming for. Because notice here we're recording, there's a day game Wednesday and then off day Thursday. I think that's what we're going to sort of try and have be our pattern this year. So we'll see uh, if we can actually stick to that. I don't know when the when the next time we'll slot something in is. But until then, go Orioles, because it would be awesome if they are better then than they are right now. Hopefully all the things that have been bad we were talking about on this podcast are better. And hopefully all the good things will still be good to you. And also they'll be better. And also they'll be better, Better, yeah. yeah. Better than they already are. Better than they already are, for sure. That would be even better. That's exactly right. Good call. So that's all we've got for tonight. So for Stacey Fulkemer, I am Mark Brown. We're bringing you Camden Cast. This is Birdland. And we are out.